and welcome to the Orion Open Science Podcast. I'm Emma Harris. I'm Luisa Bengtsson. And we're broadcasting to you from Berlin, Germany. Today's topic, today's guest, well, today's topic is peer review. Today's guest is Guillaume Fillon. He is a principal investigator at the Center for Genomic Regulation, or CRG, in Barcelona, Spain. And he has written a blog about a little hack he had, um, like his, his twist on the open peer review. Um, yeah, so we decided to talk to him in a um, bit more detail and get his views on open peer review and open science generally. My name is uh, Guillaume Filion. I work mostly on chromatin. I consider myself a bioinformatician nowadays. And you um, wrote a blog post, I believe, about um, open peer review and specifically not peer review not being anonymized uh, in the sense that you sign your peer review. Yeah, so uh, uh, I just try to summarize very briefly the, uh, the content of the, um, of the blog post. And uh, mostly this is about my experience with, uh, with peer review. I started uh, about 10 years ago reviewing papers as I was a postdoc. And from the very first time I decided I'm going to assign all my reviews uh, as much as I can. And this is mostly, a, uh, let's say, uh, a, an account of this experiment, just to share my experience with people in case they want to do this, in case they have an opinion about this. And in the blog post, I explain what I've, hap- what I've uh, you know, discovered, what I've learned when I did this experiment. Uh, let's say the the main point is that I've discovered that nothing bad happens. <laughs> That's good. That's already the first step. So you didn't have any internet trolls uh, going after you or uh, people getting mad at you or yeah, any angry letters from authors? No, no, ne- never. Uh, so the like I explained a little bit in the blog post, my only negative uh, experience were with the editors, actually, never with the authors. So far, I've never had any, um, any, any complaint or any argument with, with the authors about this. Well, I guess if it's, a, I mean, that's the thing, like if the review is proper, there's nothing to be ashamed of, of criticizing a colleague's work because you're not criticizing the person, you're criticizing like the, maybe there's some gaps in the, in the manuscript, in the experiments or, can point to like what needs to be done to make the story complete or things like that. So there's, of course, uh, there's no shame in putting a name on it, right? I mean, that's like giving a talk at a conference. It's the same thing and asking a question afterwards, right? So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's at least that's my opinion. I would even go one step further, which is uh, it's not even about giving an opinion. Like who cares about opinion? So mm-hmm. what you're what you're doing is you're giving an expert vision on the project, and then you mm-hmm. have to also limit yourself. And so these are things I don't have any any skill to comment or something like this. And your opinion, like, you know, I like, I don't like the paper, it's completely irrelevant. So it's neither about the person, the, the authors, but also not about whether you like the, the paper. Uh, it's really about whether this is relevant, whether this is well done, and so on. And even about the relevance, I, I, I explained that I try not to do that, in the sense that this is more the job of the editor, not the job of the reviewer. Mm-hmm. And what's the negative experience you had with the editor? Uh, some editors are not really keen on having the reviewers sign the papers, uh, sign the review, sorry. And uh, 
so that has happened that some reviewers, some editors have removed my name without really telling me beforehand that they would do that. So I even had discussions saying, I'd like to sign my reviews because this is what I do. They say, yes, fine. But after that kind of, you know, complicated situation, realizing, yeah, I didn't know that I'm not allowed to let you sign the review and therefore I have to strip your name off the review. So that, that was kind of a disappointing experience. And that has happened two times so far. And do you think peer review overall is, is working uh, as a process within science? Yes, very much. Yeah, that is from my experience. Uh, uh, all the papers that I have published under peer review have been greatly improved by the peer review process. Right? So now the question is at what cost? Sometimes I would say the cost was a little bit too high, like the cost that the authors had to pay was a little bit too high in terms of waiting time or in terms of uh, uh, anger management. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, uh, the point is that this has always, absolutely always improved the quality of the work. But then what's your motivation for putting your name on it? I mean, I understand that um, it's something bad and uh, it's kind of honest and uh, not the right thing to do in a way, instead of uh, for transparency and so on. But like, what's your, like, why did you start with it? Was it something that triggered you in any way? Yes, absolutely. And that's a very good question because I had the feeling I would do a better job mm -hmm. as a reviewer. If I put my name on it, if I put my name on the line, then it would force myself to not do a bad job. And of course, it's because I had the experience of being on the receiving end of this very, very poor review. Uh, okay. And so I just didn't want to be on the giving end of this, that's all. Okay, so it's a professional ethos, question of professional ethos in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was really to, to kind of force myself to yeah. do a good job. So there's, there's another version of Open Peer Review where not only is the name of the peer reviewer available to the author, but the entire peer review is available with the paper. So the paper goes to publication and there's a link and you can kind of see what the peer reviewer said to get it to that point. Do you think that's positive then or not? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, let's say when that's, when that's available, I don't really really uh, delve too much into uh, into the review history, but uh, I think it should be available. It's a good thing. I don't see how it could be a bad thing. Uh, to go back to, uh, to your last point, let's take the example of Wikipedia where there is, uh, you have the main page and you have the discussion page where you can see what people you know, have, have discussed in order to come to that content. And uh, probably, probably it's the same. Uh, mostly I'm interested about the, uh, about the main page. And once in, I don't know, a hundred or a thousand uh, clicks, I would actually go and see the discussion because either I feel that there is something that really is against my uh, uh, my prejudices or that I feel like this is a little bit weird and let's see how did they come to think about that stuff. And sometimes you find uh, find very interesting information there, but most of the time I just take the information for granted. I, I would use it only when that is within my domain of expertise and I say how did, how did they come to publish that particular a point, was there any point of discussion in the review, then I may check it. So I think overall it would be a good thing. Just coming back, touching on the on your point in the in your blog post where you were um, mentioning the, what well, a problem or basically that the peer review is often outsourced to junior uh, researchers, right? So the, the name of sort of the, the senior PI is asked to review something and just passes it down the chain to postdocs, even PhD students to actually do the job and then just sends it off to the, to the editor. It's not unknown, it's a very common phenomenon. 
I've been on a fan as well as a, as a postdoc. Um, so we've interviewed a lot of people on this podcast, and uh, we always come back to the, the question of incentives. Um, what you get rewarded for. So uh, right now it's the impact factor, right? Okay, that's the only thing that counts pretty much. Um, what are your thoughts about this, like signing your name, that basically exposing your name um, on the review, uh, should you get credit for it? Do you think it's a good thing? I mean, well, that's, that's should, a very good do, question. Yeah, should doing the review itself, should that be a point on your CV? And if yes, then of course you would have to judge the quality of the review somehow as well. So I wonder if you have thought about this. Uh, yeah, yeah. So of course I have thought about this, especially because I took this decision early on to, uh, to sign my reviews, as I mentioned. So I thought I might as well take advantage of it. And so as soon as the PubLons platform was available, then I put all my reviews on it. Mm -hmm. And so I keep track of, of my re reviewing activity and being open about this. And I have no problem just showing my work. And for me, it's just part of, part of my work. If people are interested, the link is on my CV. And then I, I keep very, very high level records of the statistics, like how many reviews per year in which journal. And then if people want to see what I actually wrote, they, they can. I don't think they do, but at least they can. So at least to some extent, uh, I take benefit of it uh, because, like I said, being open, like I can discuss about these things and even show my work. Have you had like actual direct benefit of having kept track of your reviews, not just for yourself, but like career-wise or you know, like external benefits from external sources? Kind of. Well, I know. Not that I'm aware of. Okay, so it's no, no, not that I'm aware of. Okay. But there's a direct benefit. No, no, not that I'm aware of. Uh, can and so now the question: Can there be can there be a direct benefit in the career, and should there be one? It's it's a very complicated question because, as you mentioned, we have like one score at the moment that measures uh, uh, let's say the quality of a scientist, and uh, we can call it impact factor or H index or whatever. But we got the <clears throat> the impression that this is about how much you publish. And not really how much you review. And so if we start to put other things in the balance, it's very difficult to, to weigh them. And uh, it's not just about the peer review, but it's about other things. Like how do you weigh gender? These are very, very difficult questions. They're politically difficult to ask. How do you weigh age? How do you weigh uh, you know, different things or the fact that you have been able to open a company or these things? And, and these are, as soon as you're not in a 1D scenario where it's easy to to classify people, to, to rank them, uh, then many questions arise. And the question would be, how much how much does that count? You know, 1%, 2%, 15%, and so on. Uh, and these are anyway going to be small numbers. And because they're small numbers, people just have tendency anyway to neglect, to say we're just focused on the big things, which are like the production of the papers, and pretty much how much money you get from the from the grants, for instance. So I, even though I'd be in favor of it, I've got no idea how to implement this in practice. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I would say that anyway, you get indirect benefits. Mm -hmm. So the direct benefits are, are probably small, but the indirect benefits are probably large. Mm -hmm. And so in a, in a career, of course, the papers and how much you, uh, how much you get from the grant is very important. That will, that will give you access to jobs, et cetera, to meetings, and so on. You will be very visible and so on. But I would say that this is about 50% of what consists uh, your career asset. The other 50% is your network. 
and people who actually know you, people who can support you, uh, people who you can turn to when you need, basically. And so being non-anonymous when you review uh, actually grows your network quite a lot. And the network, like I said, is equally important for a career as your statistics, basically. That's a really important point. Yeah, 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 it is. Is there a risk, do you think, that if, for instance, you're a postdoc or in, um, and in, I guess you could say, a vulnerable position in terms of employment and you do a, a review and you sign it and it's, I know you were saying about it not being negative personally, but it's, uh, it's the review of a professor who's going to be on your next hiring committee. Is there a risk that people will take these things personally, whether you mean it to or not, and you could be um, discriminated against in some way because you've signed your peer review? I mean, is there a risk factor there? Absolutely. And you've got to you know, be willing to take that risk if you sign your reviews. Mm-hmm. Now you also have to think, do you want to work with a person like that anyway? Sure. But I guess I think a lot of postdocs and PhD students would say that they can't be too choosy when it comes to uh, it comes to jobs. Yeah, and, my, and my advice would be that they should. What about things like preprints and community review? What do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I put everything um, I do on preprints as much as uh, as my collaborators are okay with that. Uh, I'm very much in favor of it. Uh, also, as much as possible, I I put things in. Uh, in the public domain, so which means uh, n- not even any copyright. Uh, and I'm very much in favor of this. Uh, did I get any, uh, let's say, uh, review from the community at that stage? Uh, or almost never. Like, this is only for diffusion purposes. I've never seen anyone actually write something concrete and constructed about any of my papers, and also not really about anyone's paper. Uh, so the, the point here is just so that the information is available as early as possible. Mm. And then, of course, they, they can be, they can be uh, let's say, uh, uh, you have to take this with a, with a pinch of salt because it's not, it's not reviewed. But it's the same for review papers. You also have to take them with a pinch of salt. Mm. But why is it so, you think? Why, why are people not very uh, willing to do the commandant colleagues' manuscripts before the peer review? You would think that you know preprints is out there, and that's your chance to really discuss something and connect and collaborate. And so, why isn't that happening? Because it takes time. Writing a good review takes about ten hours, in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, if you if you're writing a review of preprint or postprint, doesn't really matter in that respect, right? Because it's still it's still a review. Or is, is there more weight to having a post? Post pre, well, being the official peer reviewers, say have the have this function allocated to you uh, versus allocating it to yourself um, while uh, comment, commenting on the preprint. Of course, there's more weight, there's power. You have uh, there's kind of a, a, this power relationship that you have with the author, and there's kind of a uh, let's call it a mutual trust relationship that the authors kind of believe or try to believe that you really have only the interest of the paper uh, at heart and that the editor as well and that whatever you comment on the paper through the editor uh, kind of holds the authors. Uh, if it's just on a preprint, it's just an opinion and everybody's got one. So uh, you're going to spend these 10 hours if you if you feel they're, they're not going to be totally wasted. And so because of this kind of 
that mini relationship of sort of trust. Many times it is a, a relationship of trust. Then you think it's worth spending this time because my work is not going to be disregarded completely. And that holds the authors to some consistency or some logic or some quality standard. Mm -hmm. uh, you said you make everything, um, in the, put everything in the public domain as much as you possibly can. Why do you think that's important to do? I mean, um, what's your motivation behind doing that? So that everybody can use it without feeling any restriction. And uh, being, being a, a public researcher, I would qualify myself as a public researcher, I really think that ideas don't belong to anyone. Once, once they're here, then they, you can't lock them up. You can try to find ways to, uh, to motivate people to, uh, to get some reward and some benefit for having spent the time on the ideas. But once the ideas are there, they, de facto, they really belong to anyone. And I think it's much more logical to say, I am paid. My, my profession is to get ideas and get money for getting ideas. But once the ideas are there, there's no reason to get some further benefit from it. I was already paid for thinking. Okay, I mean, you sound like a, like a really model, um, like exemplary open scientist, you know? Uh, and I wonder, um, is this something that you transitioned into? Or is it, uh, have you always thought like that? Or is this uh, triggered by something? I mean, why are you doing all these things? Because not everybody does, you know? Uh, well, this is this is something I discovered recently, actually. So I guess there's a bit of a perception perception thing. Well, thank, thank you for the compliment, by the way. Um, uh, I thought until last year that I was totally average, uh, and then I discovered a, a little bit by chance that uh, no, most people are not are not that open. But I really didn't have the perception at all that uh, you know that I was kind of an outlier. I realize now that indeed this this is probably more open than average. Um, so uh, how did that happen? I guess it, it must be you know part of my core values. Uh, just to uh, to make a reference to what I meant when I when I advised young people to be choosy with the place they go is that being uh, being paid for doing a job is one thing, but at some point you need to find a place that's in alignment with your own values, and that's something that. If you're really against your own values for too long, then at some point uh, you will lose motivation uh, for your job. You also create unhappiness around you and uh, in your in your job, your personal life, etc. So it's really important, in my opinion, to, to not uh, let's say uh, negotiate too much with your core values, and that's what I meant with this. So I've always been lucky enough to be in places where I did not have to negotiate too much with these core values. Uh, with my previous supervisors and so on. So even though they haven't always made uh, you know, very clear claims about what is right and what is wrong, etc., I probably have this uh, personal core values that come from who knows where, education maybe, or personality whatsoever. Uh, and it just happened that I was lucky enough to have supervisors who were okay with that, mm -hmm. and that even promoted this kind of behavior and so on. So that I never had to, to have this internal conflict about you know, my, uh, my core values which are very close to openness and all that, and my interest, which is sometimes at the opposite. This is actually something, I had a conversation uh, recently with a postdoc, and she basically was uh, saying that she wants to quit science now because uh, she cannot stand this yeah, this closeness, basically this, this certain way, this traditional kind of old way of doing science, and she can just not stand it, and therefore she's leaving science. And I tried to convince her that there are 
places in this world where not everybody's doing science this way. I mean, just because FBI was like this or mm. is like this uh, does not mean that everybody is. And actually, you're sort of confirming this that you, you can choose, right? So you, you can find a place where you can do science aligned to the core values and, uh, and uh, according to the open science principles. So, yeah, that's very encouraging, basically. That's what I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think you can. I think you should uh, at least. Uh, and uh, yeah, there are many bad ways to do uh, to do this job. Like there's many bad ways to do any job, mm. in my opinion. And uh, somehow our generation is a little bit failing, uh, to kind of in in that respect. Like to uh, let's say to say that science is not just about incentives and not just about getting the money from the European Union or whichever competitive grants there is, but also that we do science for a reason. And uh, a little bit what my generation of scientists is failing is to remind people what is that reason. Right? Is that a purely selfish uh, vision of science? And we do this only because of the incentives? Or do we do this only because we like to, to be smart? Or is, is there another reason? And I think right now many young people are a little bit lost about uh, what, what could these reasons be? Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's not me going to tell them the you answer because everybody has to find their, their own answer uh, in a sense. And I find that openness helps me a little bit keeping uh, keeping the north in a sense. To remember that what we're doing is not just uh, to have one more paper or to just look smart in front of the colleagues or to impress my friends, but also because there's a community out there, there are some people who actually need what we do. Or we hope they need it. And if we convince ourselves that this is useful, then maybe they're going to need it a little bit more. One way to do this is to get, let's say, to reduce the uh, the space between between the scientist and the and the rest of the community. So, I mean, what I find in the open, let's say, the open mindset, I will call it, is really a better connection uh, between our work and between what is actually is the purpose of our work. Okay, so that discussion actually turned into a, a wider talk about um, more like the first episode we did about what it's like to be a researcher and how open science is a kind of a choice that you make and, you know, you need to um, kind of think about why you're actually doing science. I really liked his, um, his basically his conclusion or his, his motto, his, uh, you know, his the thing he lives by mm. is that you have to adjust your, you have to have a job that is in line with your core values. That's really important. Yeah, I think it is. And um, I mean, if your core value is to make as much money as possible, then, you know, by all means, go and join Wall Street. But if yeah, you're yeah gonna... I was just about saying, do not become a scientist. <laughs> yeah, do because... not become a scientist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, if, if yeah, presumably... Most people become scientists because they're curious about the world. They want to make the world a better place. They want to understand things better. Um, in which case, why would you want to keep that knowledge secret and hidden away? And because it's it's gamified, you know. I mean, mm. I think this is the whole thing. It's like it's became competition. It's, it's somehow it's this thing of everything. Well, you know, in German, you say that competition sort of. Um, gives more life to the to the business. Yes. So basically, you know, the more competition, the better something gets, which mm. we know is actually total bullshit because that doesn't really, no, it's 
when you have more competition, you like the more you cut corners, the yeah. the farther you get, basically. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you can see it in all domains of life. Yes. Um, so I don't. Yeah, basically the science got gamified somehow by this competition. Yeah. Thinking, yeah. and I, that's where the problem starts with not being aligned with your core values. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I. I, I definitely think. I mean, to a certain extent, you, if you want to measure research quality at all, you are going to end up with a system that can be gamed. But it's gone to, I think, extreme levels now where um, it's, it's every aspect from right from when you try and get to do a PhD right through until you try and get tenor and be a professor. Um, it's, everything is, is, is positioned in such a way that it rewards being competitive um, and why are we running science like Wall Street? Um, mm. It's just not, it's not, it's like what he was saying. The core values of science are not aligned with the system of science. Mm. And that's what I think is fundamentally what open science is trying to do. It's trying to reclaim those core values of curiosity and discovery and, and betterment mm. and turn them uh, and try and redo the system so that it matches yeah although yeah uh, i've just had an epiphany that that was my epiphany so i think why it's working still why still people are still signing up to this system as we have it is because yeah you also have this wonderful network of really fantastic people you work with so yeah and as he said well at least i would say it's even much more than 50 percent of what gets you somewhere in the world in any yeah. also again any place basically is your network right Absolutely. So um, if you, and yeah, and, and open science is a really good way to enlarge your network or build like a really good and real network of collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what gets you farther. So this this competition, yeah, kind of the system sort of pushes competition, um, but you only survive by collaboration and that's kind of where the clash comes, yeah. right? Yeah. So... <clears throat> what we need is a system that rewards those networks mm. directly and overtly instead of indirectly. Like he was talking about explicit external reward versus implicit indirect reward. And we need to flip those mm. so that you're rewarded for collaboration, re rewarded for making things public. You're rewarded for communicating and closing the gap between science and public instead of having to do those things despite system i think but he was also very right about that there's no good recipe for how to actually do that i mean if we had infinite amount of money and resources not just money but like resources imagine everybody who wants to do science just does science gets an own group gets a lab gets that's that's, that's the utopia i'm dreaming of <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think there are simple things like like uh, what I really liked about um, what he was doing was that he was taking a really simple, positive action. Yeah, he wasn't just talking. He, he I don't think he particularly goes around talking about this stuff very much. I mean, he was saying that he didn't even know he was an outlier in in that way. Um, he just gone. No, I want to do something that'll make me a better sort of person in this system and he started signing his peer reviews because he felt it would make him more responsible and less um uh falling into this trap of um kind of accusatory uh harsh peer review and he felt it would make him 
better or more accountable. It would make him more accountable. And I think that's that's the kind of thing we should all be doing. We should just, if we take these simple positive actions. Well, I guess that's about what open science in general is about, is accountability. Yeah. In the end. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. I mean, cool, Guillaume. Really, uh, well yeah. done. I mean, I think this is a really good tip to everybody. You know what? Next time you do peer review, sign with your name. Yeah, exactly. Very simple, actionable step. Yeah, I mean, it's, it can be difficult if you're uh, in a vulnerable position. And I think there is something to be said that we have got a lot of implicit biases and um, issues to deal with like we have in society generally. So if you're... Uh, in a particular social or racial group or gender group, you may be feel that this is not something that you can do, and that's that's you know a legitimate point. But I think if you can and you feel you're able to, you should definitely do it. I'm not sure what to make out of your last remark, actually. <laughs> no, because I think it's like it's really, of course, of course, there could be repercussions. But that's what he's saying. I mean, do you want to put up with that? I mean, what's the price to pay mm. if you don't do it, basically? But that's, it's kind of easy for us sitting here with jobs to say oh. when there's like a postdoc, I don't know, some, uh, you know, maybe a, a young woman from a, um, an ethnic minority group who's already in a vulnerable position, who's already fighting all this bias on, you know, hiring committees. And then you say, oh, and you've got to put your name on a peer review of, of some professor. I guess I feel like that's a little bit of a privileged thing to ask. That's well, I think that's actually the. I think it's actually counterproductive not to do it, because you're invisible. Mm. Anyway, so I mean, how do you make yourself visible? I mean, nobody's going to make you visible. No. You have to do it yourself. So you know, if you if you enter this, because this this professor, uh, this imaginary. Presumably, white, middle age, or older age, whatever, man. Well, statistically. Beard, lab coat, whatever. Uh, statistically. You know. <laughs> yeah, but he's not going to go away, you know. He's still going to be there. Like, even if you do get your, you know, mm. past this committee or something, this guy is going to be there. He's going to make your life miserable anyways, you know. So you might as well just make yourself visible and let mm. your voice be heard, at least that way, you know. Yeah, I, I think guess. What, for me it was also this thing of um, because I, I've been reviewing papers on behalf of my supervisors, mm. not on behalf. It was like do that, yes, uh, you know, and I would do that because I found it also exciting. You know, mm. like, I mean, it's interesting when you're just like starting, you know, career, and it's it's interesting to be in the position to like review other people's papers. And um, sure, mm. um, but then you get no credit whatsoever. No. Like no. nothing, zero. And it's still work, as he said, 10 hours. I mean, that's really, that's what it takes. You know, you have to think through the things. You have to read up on things that you maybe, mm -hmm. maybe slightly outside of the area and really try to, you know, be fair and basically first to like really understand detail what the authors did and knowing the, like basically there's no space in those papers to really describe in detail what you actually did. So it's always just a summary in a way, you know, yeah, even if it's yeah. like, say, it's materials and methods, but it's, yeah, it's always very cryptic. And uh, yeah, it takes time, basically. And mm -hmm. then you end up with like no credit whatsoever. I don't know. I think it's a really good measure. Just put your name on it. Yeah. If you feel able to, put your name on it. Okay, good. That's the, we'll compromise on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so, this was another episode of Orion Open Science Podcast, brought to you from Berlin. 
from uh, Max Delbuch Center of Molecular Medicine and the Orion Open Science Project. The music was uh, produced by Fabio de Miguel and sound editing is being done by the wonderful, wonderful Paula Olivier. So yeah, you can find us on Twitter at OOSP underscore OrionPod. Um, tweet us, follow us, uh, message us. Also, if you want to uh, email us, uh, it's Orion at MDC dash Berlin dot DE. Please feel free to get in touch. Uh, anything you've heard, if you've got any questions, if you want to suggest anyone to for us to talk to, please go ahead. See you in two weeks with another guest. Bye. Bye. <laughs>